Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast that explores the stories and the circumstances of Canadian missing persons cases. In tonight's episode, our story is going to take us to Regina, Saskatchewan. At some point during the early morning of July 5th, 2004, five-year-old Tamara Keepness seems to have simply vanished from her home. The facts of that evening, as well as the behaviors of the adults responsible for Tamara's care, are more than a bit hazy. Alcoholism, drug abuse, prostitution, domestic violence, all of it seems to find a way into Tamara's last known night, and all of it obscures whatever trail she may have left behind. And now, 18 years later, one thing is for certain. Her family and the communities they are a part of have far from given up on her. So with all that said, let's get into the story. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, I'll be joined by Canadian crime video creator Madeleine Klein to discuss the disappearance of five-year-old Tamara Keepness. I was sleeping and my sister was sleeping with me and then when I went to bed I woke up, she wasn't there. Around 10.30 p.m. on Monday, July 5th of 2004, that was the last time anyone saw five-year-old Tamara Jewel Keepness. What followed was one of the largest searches for a missing child in Regina's history. Hundreds of police, family members and volunteers scoured the city and surrounding area. Just kissed them all and tell them, tell them it's bedtime, go to bed, and they all paraded upstairs. And Come the next morning, um, I sent them to wake her up and she wasn't there. Lane, it's amazing to meet a fellow Canadian, I don't know what we would call ourselves, crime content creators. I think that's what like a, a business person would call us. Something like that. Okay, let's go with that. That's what I tell my parents. I'm a content creator, mom. I'm not just on my laptop. We Our, our paths crossed just last week as a result, or maybe two weeks ago, as a result of, uh, we, you did a series of videos about Emily Bailey, which I covered on my podcast. Uh, and that's how I come to meet you. So now that I, I know a bit about what you do, but People who listen to my podcast probably don't. So tell me a bit about you and what you do. Well, uh, by profession, I'm actually in healthcare. Um, I would love to do content creating full time, but slowly but surely, I'm I'm on that journey. But um, as for content creating, I started about a year ago on a whim. I posted uh, true crime on TikTok about the O'Brien boys from Newfoundland, and yeah, it just kind of took off from there. So and it was fun and. 
I decided why not if uh, I'll keep on this role. Uh, people generally won't get into creating videos about uh, missing persons cases from Newfoundland without an interest in this sort of thing. So what what makes you, you know, interested in missing persons cases and unsolved crimes? Like wh where does this start for you? I have I think I used to watch true crime with my mom. Okay. I'm looking back now, I'm not sure I should have been that young watching those shows with her, but it happened. <laughs> And here we are. So, yeah. Good. I had a similar thing with my dad. I like when I remember back in even in elementary school, I, we used to watch Cold Case Files and American Justice on A and E, and of course Unsolved Mysteries. It's like we had the same childhood in different houses. Yeah, I, I've been there. So that that's how that's what got me into it as well. Really, I just always grew up with this, uh, with an interest in these kinds of stories and what they tell us about humanity and society and then of course like anything that has a mystery i'm just i can't help but look away from it i don't i don't know what that is or something within me that it's not that i think i can solve it but i'm just like yeah it's interesting i think i think our curiosity it it snowballs into why why do people do things like this and you know where does it's the it's the curiosity why you have to dig deeper and it's you have to know right mm -hmm. And it may be a part of it. I don't know about you, but I find a part of it when I hear these dark, twisted stories, a part of it makes me feel um, very thankful for my life and the fact that I don't have the kind of problems that I read about in these other stories. And sometimes I read a story and I'm just like, man, I got it good. And it makes me like, you know, appreciate my life a little more and hearing the dark stuff that happens. Oh, I absolutely agree. And especially doing I... I cover strictly Canadian true crime. And as the time went on, I started taking only requests. And I just, you know, not only does true crime make me uh, thankful, like you said, or grateful, but the, just this last year of, you know, talking to people and doing all this research into the smaller and less known crimes, I just, it can happen to any of us. And you never think it, you never think it will. And you, it's, it's a community you never think you're going to be a part of. But it, it happens. And it happens on regular Tuesday mornings, you know? It's just, it's weird to think about. And it's such a rabbit hole. And everyone I talk to, much like you just described, it's always like, I never thought this would happen to me. But when you cover these stories and you read about them a lot, it's like every week I'm reading about someone who's like, it. I never thought it would happen to me. And here I am. And that it, it really yeah. drives it home that like, no, like this can happen to anyone. It's just the luck of the draw that someone's in the wrong place at the wrong time. At least that's how it seems when you read about them a lot. And, you know, in Canada has this perception of being like a safe, peaceful place. But I don't know. I've read a lot of articles that make me say like, I don't know, my kids are staying around my yard. Yeah, it's crime is climbing at a rapid rate. And it's, it's scary. And yeah, you're right. Canada has this reputation of being, you know, the, the nice sibling, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's getting a little dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a whole different thing, but let's get into it. When, when we planned to talk, I asked you um, to recommend a case that is local to you. Uh, and the reason I did that is like, I shall know something that, you know, a story that I don't know or something that I have never covered before. And you told me the name Tamara Keepness. I had never heard the name. I was unfamiliar with the case, but my God, for the last week, I've been reading and watching and digesting everything I could 
about this missing five-year-old girl and this story is just like it is heartbreaking but it is also very complicated so before we get into it why don't you tell me a bit about you know what this case means to you and why you recommended it well as soon as you asked me are there any local cases that come to mind anybody from regina that was over the age of i'd even say 10 years old they will say Tamra Keepness. I was 11 in 2004, and I have very vivid memories of Tamra going missing. I remember the news broadcasts. I remember the, the newspapers. And Tamra's disappearance is something that hasn't been forgotten about. It is remembered every year, and people still continue to talk about it, but not even just on the anniversary of her disappearance. It's... Mm it's been a conversation piece for the last 18 years and continues to be. And it's, it's a case that is always on our minds. She is still with us until we find out she isn't. Every year on the anniversary of her disappearance, Tamara Keepness's friends, community members, and the Regina police come together to keep her story active and to remind her family she is remembered. Tamara was last seen 18 years ago on July 5th, 2004, at her home on Ottawa Street. It's one that everyone relates to. It's a, it's a little girl. Deputy Chief Dean Ray remembers July 6th, which was the day the five-year-old was reported missing. Pretty much the whole organization was was tasked with doing some work in regards to the investigation. The days, weeks and months after her disappearance were busy. Hundreds and thousands of tips were followed up over the first number of months to a year um, and it continued on. Although tips have slowed down over the years, police say they still receive leads and follow them closely. We're always, you know, hoping that we're going to get that one piece of information that's going to give us some some lead where we can follow up and hopefully locate Tamara. Talking about Tamara also sheds light on the continuing issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls and two-spirited people and the importance community plays in overcoming it. In, in reading her story and reading the reporting about her, just as you described, it seems like she is someone that, you know, the community of Regina have uh, rallied around her family in the case. Uh, and I would say probably for better or worse, because it seems like a lot of people are rallying around this story for different reasons. But ultimately, wh what do you think it is that made this a case that grabbed so many people and drew them in? Like, what, what about Tamara's disappearance? Because we hate not knowing and we need to know as humans, we need to know and we don't. And there's so many different theories and rumors and everyone, every single rumor that has been told to me is said with such confidence as if they really know that's what happened. And it's, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's bizarre. Um, when I first started to do my my crime talks, that's and someone would talk to me about it. That is the first name they'd say. Oh, are you going to do camera, Tamara Keepness? Tamara is one of the most uh, uh, recommended or suggested names that I get. Um, yeah, she's she's known far and wide for sure and remembered. Here in Nova Scotia, I, and I'm someone who reads a lot of you know this kind of stuff. I I don't recall ever coming across her name, but in but once I got into the case, it was just you know gripping. And I spent the last week uh, 
first thing I did was I watched a two-part, and this was a new documentary, a two-part documentary that was on Paramount Plus. Uh, the series is called Never Seen Again, and they did two episodes about about Tamara's story, and it was it was really well done, and it it told the story in present day from the point of view of of her family, her her siblings, and her mom primarily. Um, and you know, it was, it was moving and emotional and really well done. But from there, I then went back and watched the original reporting mainly by CBC that was put together shortly after her disappearance And it, you know, it didn't tell it, uh, in collaboration with her friends and family. And it was obvious because it all but pointed the finger at her family. So it's, uh, and from there, you know, in in reading more, I'm seeing there are people who are supporters and people who certainly aren't supporters of her family. What is the the kind of the um, the temperature of the case around Regina overall? Like, are, do you feel like people are pointing at her family, or you know, what are your thoughts on that side? Unf of it? Unfortunately, a good majority of people to this day blame Tamra's mother. They have some mm. sort of preconceived you know she sold her for this reason she she knows what happened to her whatever um mm. lots of i've found and these are this is just coming from my comments on my my crime talk videos from over a year ago or about a year mm. ago now um i noticed that in that documentary i watched it as well very well done um they don't talk to tamra's mm. father troy and in my comments, which mm -hmm. I realize that comments on TikTok are all hearsay, um, but they there was an outpouring. The, the investigators aren't on there. My God, the things I have found out <laughs> through the comments, right? <laughs> um, but there was, yeah, there was just yeah. an outpouring of love for Troy Keepness saying like he's he is still involved in the case and he's like super broken up about it. Uh, very little sympathy to Tamara's mother, if any, um, but a hundred percent sympathy toward Tamara, of course. And everyone still wonders where she is and wants, wants her to come home. Let's go through a bit of the timeline in, in the background on the people. I'll, I'll start by just some stuff that I, and you probably know a lot more about these people than, than I will tell you, but, uh, and so you fill me in if I'm wrong or correct me, but the first thing I did was I looked at the various people involved in, I think that's probably something any investigator would do look you know look at those close but at the time of her disappearance which was july 5th of 04 uh tamra keepness was five years old she was at the time being raised by her mother lorna uh Lor lorena lorena sorry lorena uh her mother had a live-in boyfriend named dean as well as a sort of like live-in, they described him as like a live-in babysitter slash roommate named, he's been referred, his name is Russell, Russell Sheepskin, but I've seen him referred to as Russell or as Sheepskin. But it seems that the house has Tamara and her five siblings, her mother, mother's boyfriend, and then the live-in babysitter. So a lot of people in, in the home, but even more than that, it's the type of home where people were coming and going from often. In, in, in fact, in one of the first CBC articles, they described the fact that um, upstairs of the home was where the kids slept in the, in the bedrooms and whatnot, but there was a separate room that, that was referred to as the slam room, 
where people could come in and use injection drugs. Ooh. But they even, even in, in the CBC uh, video documentary, they even had video of this. Five-year-old Tamara slept upstairs with her brothers and sisters at one end of the hall, her bedroom. At the other end, a room where the adults in her life injected drugs, the so-called slam room. That was a room that the children weren't allowed to go in, and that's where I did it. The kids are not stupid, man. You know, they, they know what's going on. They, I'm pretty sure they, they've seen the needles. But IV drug use down the hall wasn't the only problem Tamara had to deal with. The five-year-old witnessed a parade of crime, chaos, and addictions. All of these things would come together the night of July 5th, when Tamara Keepness disappeared. This family and these children were raised among injection drug use. They were raised among domestic violence. The grown-ups in Tamara's life have also been in trouble with the law much of the time. Tamara's babysitter has been convicted of assault, breaking and entering, and forgery. He's behind bars right now, charged with extorting $150 from his mother. Tamara's natural father is serving time for assaulting his latest girlfriend. That charge is on top of his existing record, which includes assaults, breaking and entering, and uttering threats. Tamara's mother has been convicted of shoplifting, vandalism, and communicating for the purpose of prostitution. Tamara's stepfather has several counts of breaking and entering and drunk driving. In addition, earlier this year, he was convicted of assaulting Lorena. He got out of jail just days before Tamara went missing. So it's, I guess the whole point of all this is this home was one where five-year-old Tamara and her siblings were surrounded by drug use, domestic violence, people being in and out of jail. And as far as I could tell, it's seems to be uh, in a rough part of Regina that also had other social problems, namely um, lots of prostitution happening in and around the house, I guess is how I would put it. Yeah, um, so Russell Sheepskin is actually Lorena's cousin. And he, yes, and so he would, he would stay at the house sometimes. I believe the news, um, what did the news say? Uh, an occasional resident, I believe they listed it as. I, I believe he would stay there sometimes. Um, the night in question, actually, it said that Lorena and Dean had gotten into an argument. It seemed like the, the argument at somehow involved the TV show CSI. They were like, Dean and, and Tamara's mom, Lorena, were like watching TV. And I think the debate started around what show they were going to watch. What happened to Tamara that night remains a mystery, but what was going on in the Keepness household is not. A perfectly normal night turned into the perfect storm. We were watching the Gladiator, the, I think it was the second part, and uh, I wanted to watch CSI, so I changed the channel. Yeah. And then that's when you left, eh? It was just an argument. It wasn't anything like every couple argues. It, it was heated enough that it resulted in Dean leaving the house. I imagine storming out. So this was around 8 o'clock, 8.30. Uh, Dean mm. storms out of the house, allegedly runs into Russell Sheepskin. They get together and they go for they go for drinks somewhere. I don't know if it was someone's house at a restaurant. They go off together. I seen Dean coming. I recognized him. And uh, he said, uh, Lori, kick me out again. The evening progresses at home. 
at around 10 30 11 o'clock Lorena sends her five youngest children up to bed she leaves 11 year old summer in charge she was only going a block away so she said you know i'm gonna call i'll come check on you mm-hmm. kids are in bed whatever so she left um and i believe I, I believe she called. Oh, yeah. What she did was uh, when she left around 11, uh, she told 11-year-old Summer, the oldest of the children, uh, when I get to the house that I'm going, she was going to a friend's house to to drink. When And she said, when I'll get there, I'll give you a call. And she called around midnight okay. to give uh, Summer the phone number for where she was staying, just in case there was any issues. And everything was okay at that point, at mid, around midnight. Right. And and just one other thing is, uh, I think I just think this point is, re- is relevant. You said... Um, you know, Dean, um, her and Dean, her live-in boyfriend had gotten in a fight and he left. Keep in mind, he had just gotten out of jail for assaulting her. And I think he may have left. One of the reasons is to just get out of the house and not be around where, where the totally. fight, you know, where this fighting could happen, given everything that's happened. So he's just back from prison. It's already going bad. He meets Mr. Sheepskin uh, in the occasional roommate or however we want to put it. They're off drinking and and the mom Lorraine is now also off drinking with the kids home alone with an 11 year old in charge around midnight. Right. So um, it is alleged. Yeah. Lorena sent the kids up to bed, but they obviously weren't asleep. So summer or no summer was downstairs and Tannis. We know Tannis came back downstairs at one point because around midnight, allegedly uh, Russell sheepskin returned to the house. He came in, he noticed the girl's, but I'm I'm not sure if he noticed just the two girls or if he may have noticed Tamara. I'm unsure of that. But he he noted Summer and Tannis sleeping in the living room. It's alleged he met he went and made a meal. And the next blip in the timeline is at 3 a.m. when Dean and Russell get into a fight on the porch. Three hours is a long time. What was going on? What was Russell doing in those three hours? Was he hanging out watching TV? Did he go back out? What what was happening in those three hours? Yeah, Mr. Sheepkin, Sheepskin gets home somewhere after midnight, as you said. But he he um, he says this as much in the recent documentary as well as the original news reports that I found that he was hammered. He was high. He hardly remembers it. He all he really remembers is making spaghetti, seeing the kids asleep in the a few. I think he said I think three of them were asleep in the living room on the couches, but. He's home for a couple hours uh, in this kind of drunken fog. But at one point, just before 3 a.m., he goes out on the front step to have a cigarette. And now this part is is a bit weird. But for whatever reason, when he's out there, he runs into Dean, who he was drinking with earlier. Dean, again, is Tamara's mom's boyfriend. I don't know what is going on between them, but regardless, it it's it. What happens is uh, a pretty vicious assault against Mr. Sheepskin by Dean on the front steps that involves Dean, like punching him, stomping on him, telling him that he's going to kill him. And it goes on for some time uh, before Dean walks off and Mr. Sheepskin leaves the home as well to get himself to the hospital to get his injuries treated. Like he got up the stairs there. He punched me through that window, eh? And he, he punched me right in the nose and Oh, shit, I went back and my eyes watered and, I was, and like, as he was saying that, he was going, you let her do that, you let her do that. And he meant that uh, I'd babysit for her while she'd go and she'd go and hook, eh? And she called it going out. 
when I look at Dean's story, as I mentioned already a couple times, he had just gotten out of jail for for beating up um, Tamara's mom. He did that while he was drunk as well, and so it's like it's easy to kind of picture him as someone who maybe you know that's you know a bad drunk or whatever the however you want to put it. But whatever was going on between them, I just think the fact that this is all happening, you know, in the middle of this story you know, this is irrelevant and certainly interesting, but it's just, it's, it's crazy. Well, it's just cause I've heard a couple different renditions of what happened after the fight went down as well. You know, I I've heard, and I imagine Dean bailed before the cops got there. Um, but I've heard the cops were called. And then I also read that Dean slept at his aunt's house that night, mm-hmm. which, which is fine. He walked there. But then in another account, I read that although his aunt's house was only about a 10 minute walk away, this this trek took him over two hours because he kept passing out. Yeah. And and got lost on the way I've read a statement from him where he he didn't realize he was lost because he was so drunk. He was just kind of in a foggy blur, just stumbling around the neighborhood, I guess, for a couple hours. At certain times I'd black out and when I came to, I'd be at places I didn't even know. So I was I was kind of getting lost. Right. And it's just like uh, that happening on the same night your stepkid goes missing is not good. Yeah. You know, there's hardly one good alibi uh, of anyone involved in any of this as we go. But regardless, as we follow the timeline, so around, I don't know, three ish, three thirty ish, the home is again empty with the exception of the five kids with the 11 year old in charge again. Shortly after this, is when Tamara's mom makes it home. The front door is locked somewhere, and this is somewhere around 4 a.m. The front door is locked, so she ends up opening and climbing through the window into the living room. And I just want to, again, say that uh, Mr. Sheepskin, he he thought he saw Tamara sitting in the chair that was closest to the window that her mom eventually climbs through. But her mother does believe that when she gets in, she closes the window. Although she, again, just like Dean and Mr. Sheepskin, she was hammered and she doesn't necessarily remember it and wasn't, doesn't seem to be too committed to her version of the story as a result of that. But she gets in, she believes she shut the window, she lays on the couch, falls asleep, and she's basically out of commission on the, on the couch, either asleep or hung over the next morning until the point that Tamara's realize that people realize that she's missing. So her mom doesn't recall seeing her, but she doesn't really recall much of anything that night from the point that she gets home. I, I believe it isn't until the next morning when when people like get up and they start scurrying around. It, it's not it's almost like if you saw the movie Home Alone, it's almost like a little later that day, they start being like, whoa, where's Tamara? And she's not reported missing until noon the next day. Right. Um, so yeah, so Lorena gets home, climbs through the window. Uh, it's, I, you know, I hate when someone says, Hey, did you see whatever? It's a little different when it's a child, but you know, you don't remember Mm -hmm. something you weren't looking for. So Mm -hmm. Lorena goes in and she falls asleep. I read versions that she went upstairs and then I read versions that she slept on the couch. She herself says in this documentary, she slept on the couch. She woke up on the couch. Um, and I, I believe she did sleep on the couch because at around, I believe, I want to say nine or 10 AM, uh, she let her mother in the door was locked. So her mother was knocking. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she would have heard that if she had been upstairs. 
Um, it's very, very possible that Russell Sheepskin and maybe Lorena saw three children in the living room. So we know for sure Summer and Tannis were in the living room at one point. Um, Tannis and Tamara were twins and inseparable. Uh, I Mm. find it hard to believe that one would come downstairs without the other. So I think Mm -hmm. Lorena left, the two twins wandered down and hung out with their older sister. There is, there is the point, however, um, and I, I believe this because there's really no reason for him to say this if it weren't true. Um, that night, Tamara's eight-year-old brother, Rain, alleges they shared a bed together and he felt her get up the next morning. He, he, he wasn't aware of the time, but he could say it was light out. He felt her stir and get up. So it was summer. It was July. Um, it could have been light at 4 a.m. She could have she could have got up and we don't know what happened after that. She could have been in the living room and went missing from the living room. I have no idea. But I I believe her brother's her brother's rendition of what happened. There's there's no reason for him to say that. Mm. Um but yeah. I want to his story, though, it, it doesn't really give any indication like he didn't see anyone. He just kind of remembers feeling True. some kind of movement. And he, d- he did have yeah. other siblings. It could have been as well. So that night, I think I think more people were in and out of the house than we know. And, and one thing about the idea that more people could have been coming and going, just one statement I that stood out to me when I was reading of uh, Mr. Sheepskin's uh, account of being assaulted on the steps by Dean, who was uh, Tamara's mom's boyfriend. Um, Dean is alleged to have said to him that I'm with two other guys and the three of us are going to get you. And it it just makes me think like, you know, Dean is in a rage. He's on the doorstep. Who are these other guys? Were they in the house? Who are they? The next morning, come noon, when they realize Tamara's not in the house, it, we we literally know nothing more now than we did then. It was they say it is the largest um, man or the the largest search in Saskatchewan history was the search for Tamara. It went on for weeks with people, both both professional and civilians, scouring everywhere. They, they had not found, as far as I could tell, they did not find one clue or one lead which could point in the direction of where this five-year-old girl went. She appears to have simply vanished off of the face of the earth at some point during this night. I, I did searches for things like, you know, Tamara Keepness, clue, Tamara Keepness, lead. There is nothing. The biggest lead that I could come across was somebody drew a map and put it on Reddit anonymously saying like, this is where she's buried. And it was in 2014. Yeah. And it's like years later. Years later. And, but that lead was so substantial in comparison to nothing that police actually did serious searches in pursuit of this lead. Um, and in another, another lead, and I'm using air quotes for lead is a, uh, an, an indigenous elder from the community that um, Tamara's father lived in. Um, they had like a vision of Tamra being um, being in a certain field in the area in the wells. Yeah, in a well. That's right. Was that the 
Right. Actually, this is the first case, uh, to my knowledge, it, for sure in Saskatchewan, maybe Canadian history, that law enforcement actually listened to the Indigenous people mm -hmm. of Tamra's reserve. Mm -hmm. um, they got a tip from a reserve. And yeah, this is the first time, to my knowledge, in Canadian history where law enforcement uh, listened to and took the advice of Indigenous elders and you know their traditions what they had to say about the case mm. what they you know their their traditions on mm. how their pro uh, protocol for lack of a better yeah. word yeah but um but it's but yeah they investigated every single tip yeah. and it's uh, it was fruitless they found no sign of tamra um in since then it's been years of finger pointing uh at her father at her mother, at Dean, at Mr. Sheepskin, at her siblings. It has been, um, I, I think, pretty much any theory that you can imagine uh, would have been floated at this point. But I think the, pr the prevailing ones that I've come across is that, the, um, that her mother sold her, that her mother did something wrong and the others were in on you know covering it up that Dean did something, that some random stranger snuck in and stole her, uh, or that five-year-old Tamara just got up at some point throughout the night. And again, she's home alone in terms of parental supervision. So the some people speculate that she may have gotten up and left the house to go find where her mom was and, you know, and came across the wrong person. Or She could have gotten up early morning. Mm -hmm. She could have gotten up at the ass crack of dawn and wandered outside to play. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, she could have been at the neighbors. She got a, it's definitely not unheard of for young children uh, to, to go out by themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, Tamara was very, very independent. She was fairly fearless. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, she, she walked and wandered by herself often. Yeah. So she, who knows? We don't know what happened. Um, if, if on the off chance that, there is a third or fourth party that's a stranger. Say she got up in, you know, at at dawn, walked outside, and you know, met fate by chance, wrong place, wrong time. Mm. We don't know what happened, but I think the people that do know, there can't be that many people that that know because not that many people can keep a secret, mm, if, especially for all this time exactly um and but that's but that's the thing about all the different stories if you get 500 different stories where are you gonna start yeah and, and, um, and the more time that passes and the more people talk the more complicated the whole web is to unravel like it would be even if a if a, if a good lead came out right now it would be very hard to wade through everything else that's been said and done to see through all the fog and then you add you know intoxication and these vague contradictory statements of everyone involved it's like, man, it is, it is. People argue with fact every day. Mm -hmm. People argue with scientific evidence. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Let's not I go would, there. Let's not, not go there. Anyone to not believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, um, and we also, we do have to take a look at the bigger picture. I think of the environment mm -hmm. um, and just the fact that intergenerational trauma is very real. Mm -hmm. Lorena is a, 
residential school survivor, survivor, excuse me. She, her mother is also, and I imagine all of her, you know, brothers, sisters, whoever. And it's, you're, you're a product of your environment. Certainly. And when you, you know, when you grow up in, in poverty, it's, it's all, you know, and, and your survivors survival skills kind of go into overdrive. Yeah. And, and this is like the way I see it is, so she's a five-year-old girl, uh, Tamara, who is, you, you talk of this idea of like falling through the cracks of society and such. I think the, the way I see it is she was born like already in, you know, one of the deepest cracks and she was, she lived in it and she, she, yes. she, she there's no cracks to fall through when that, when, when she's already born in that situation her her grandparents great-grandparents fell through a crack that you know exactly. we, we can get into there's people much That's more whole yeah, people much more intelligent than us have talked about you know these cracks and why they were able to exist for so long and what's being done today to address them but the fact of the matter is tamra was born in that and disappeared in that in yeah, I don't know. Even in comparing that, I talked about at the beginning, the difference in the narrative from the new documentary that was made in collaboration with her family versus the earlier reporting. And my first thought when I was watching the these 2004-ish reports by CBC, I'd thought like they would never report on a case like this in that in this way today. It, it was never. so like- a, They filmed her children being like, taken away taken yeah, by social services yeah. like in what world is that appropriate absolutely a couple to be filming mm. and then and then airing yeah uh so yeah and, and for people who don't know it was a couple days after Tamara went missing when social services got involved at this point they took the children from the home and yeah it seemed like cbc had a film crew with a reporter like talking as they're being dragged into this car and it's yeah it was insane and, and not only is it like awful to see that but when you watch the 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 new documentary with her family her mom talks about losing her kids and like them being taken away and it's like it's something that's eating away at her today and it just so happened that it was caught by cbc and broadcast in the evening news in a piece that makes her mom look like you know they they talk about prostitution exactly. injection drug use it's ay 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 uh, it, without any context of it's, of who they are, yeah. but I think that's why the new documentary was so important because it it allows the family and experts to contextualize, you know, the the environment that Tamara was raised in, and and it makes it it changes the like oh, her mother shouldn't have been drinking with kids, you know. When you get kind of the whole story, it's like okay, there's Absolutely. like there's much more to it than alcoholism. Well, and if you act and you, what people forget and it's, I do it too. Um, people disconnect mm -hmm. when, when it's not your life, it's really easy to, to have, you know, preconceived ideas about people. And we need to, we need to remember everyone's a person. Everyone is a human and almost all of us, except for the one to 2% of psychopaths have feelings. Mm. And, you know, it's just, it's so easy to forget people are, are people yeah. and we get an idea in our head 
you know and yeah so this that idea like you know you walk down the street and every single person that's walking by you is struggling with something and they just you know they're not wearing a shirt that's advertising it we're all dealing with stuff and it's um well and a, a struggle to you may not be a struggle to me and vice versa yeah but it's there is yeah but to be empathetic to others uh is certainly important but in this case with tamra i think the idea of a five-year-old girl going missing from her home in a major city in Canada and 15 ish years later, there is no sign, no leads. There's a heartbroken family who's making doc who's, you know, agreeing to make a documentary about it as a basic, as far as it's gotten at this point. Um, it's horrifying. And I I'm a father to my five. I have a kid who will be five in like two weeks. And, um, when I'm watching uh, the documentaries about Tamara and just reading her story, I just like, it's hard not to see your own family dealing with something like that. And I, I could see a, a kid that age, just walking out the front door, you know, to play outside. And like, um, I, I don't know exactly. what their house was like, but I have a feeling that Tamara's house was the type where she maybe was, it was maybe okay for her to open the door and walk outside without, you know, if my kid did that, I'd be chasing him screaming, but, totally. but it, everyone's different in their parenting style. And I, I can, I can tell that these Absolutely. children had a much longer leash than the way I was raised, but that's a different lifestyle. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's and it's it's just the fact that you're like you said a five-year-old went missing and there's 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 nothing there's not a shoe yeah a dog didn't pick up a scent like there's nothing ever was found it's just we we don't know why but what i've read is that in the early days, investigators have said i don't know if it was in a press conference but they did say they had reason to believe that the adults that were in the home that night weren't being completely uh, cooperative and transparent or whatever about, you know, their their activities. So it seems like at least at some point there was some suspicion that people weren't being completely open and truthful. Um, but I but when I read that, I again, I had to put an asterisk to it next to it because I'm thinking like they're all drunk and it would be, e you know, it's easy to find someone. Um, you know, what's the difference between lying and not remembering something because you're drunk? So it, it kind of, right. I, I didn't want to read too deep into that, but. And remember, even sober, people remember things differently. Oh, hell yeah. People, you know, people remember the way things happen different than they did. Mm -hmm. And especially in the middle of a traumatic event. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you said it's very possible she could have, you know, walked out the door. No, it, it is not the best area of town. And there was a halfway house just down the block. Mm. That was cut. That was one of the theories of what happened is it, it, I, something happened with someone from this halfway house, which is totally stereotypical, mm. but that was a theory. Um, I thought I, I didn't know about this theory until I watched that documentary, the theory of her not existing yes they they talked about that theory and the idea was, i was like i've never heard of that before well, it was it, it was interesting because it, it's a crazy theory but it, a part of it makes sense that theory is that tamra was made up by her mom to get like social assistance but when it got to the point that tamra was was being uh, she'd be school age she'd have to enroll in school so now the mom's like oh my god like i can't what am i gonna do let's fake her death 
which is like that's crazy but it, you know it, it's well, it's crazy because there's other siblings who are now 15 years later in a documentary on paramount plus talking about it so uh it would take more than and they're like yeah no she's she's real like we all got these tattoos like it's, it's definitely <laughs> real like her poor twins like excuse me what now one other thing this is uncomfortable to talk about but it's a part of the story is that tamra's mom at the time of tamra's disappearance in all of this happening she was drug addict alcoholic and admittedly was engaged in sex work um and i could not tell if that was taking place in the house but um not a lot has been said about that aspect of her life but it just like what that tells me is like if if that was happening in or around the house that also opens the door to a completely different set of people you know coming around but i haven't really seen many theories or heard much speculation that that could be involved i think people are just generalizing a lot of people coming and going from this house and around this area but regardless like like yeah like we said earlier is tamra's life existed within a crack in society and i guess this what what happened is like a consequence in something that is able to happen given what was going on there child services like i i firmly believe child services should have been in that home well before this happened. i believe they were i read that they had been in the home since her oldest was young okay i, I want to say maybe six ish okay. but I, I don't know the details yeah um i don't i don't really know anything other than that yeah it it just would make sense because it's like of course Tamara wasn't in school yet but the older siblings were and i would think that just in what we're hearing about the lifestyle that these kids that, that these kids were being raised in or in amongst like that would show up at school you know the kids would like that that would stand out to a teacher i th- i would expect yeah. so um but again just like i'm thinking like what can society do for people like this? And I think it, everyone needs to work together. And, you know, if someone, uh, if, if this stands out to a school and a teacher flags it, it, it really takes a village. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so true um, that it takes a village to raise a child. And in this case, like, I, I don't know who to say failed Tamara other than the entire village that she was able to be in here alone in this house with an 11 year old running the house at at least at this point that's kind of scary but i don't know if that like that's not really it it happens every day yeah it happens so often it happens all the time yeah it's just and it's and it's the norm to so many families yeah certainly so it's um i'm trying not to project my life and what i'm comfortable with but i i do know like a an 11 year old babysitting their little sibling that would be so common in canada right now and across the world like that is not but even even as children of the 90s mm-hmm. um i'm i'm the youngest how old are you i uh, if you don't mind guess me take a guess this will be make for good audio. I, I was going to say 34, 35. Yes. No, I'm 42 or 41, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would have I would have said 30, 34, 35. Yes, thank you. But I'll, I'm uh, going to tell my okay. wife as soon as we're done that you said that. <laughs> um, but, you know, we were we were left alone. Um, mind, mind you, I'm the youngest of three. My brother's the oldest. I'm the youngest. And they're six years apart. 
So by the time I was six, he was 12. He was probably taking, he was for sure watching us. Mm. I mean, he was playing video games and I was annoying my sister, but <laughs> we were still alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think in this case, yeah. some something had to happen. I, if she did walk, like, I'm going to talk through a few things. For one, if she did just walk off and run into the wrong person, what are the chances? What are the odds that she did that on the night that, you know, all this is going on? There's the big fight on the doorstep. Yeah. Everyone's drunk and coming and going. It just seems like, man, like, what are the chances that this is the day and this is the moment that that all happens? Um, and it, it, unless every night was that crazy, and I hope to God it wasn't that wild. I don't think a night such as the night of July 5th was an isolated event. Mm. Hello, listeners. Sorry to pull you out of the episode like this, but I want to take a moment and remind you of the benefits of a nighttime premium feed subscription. First of all, I release the episodes ad-free and two days early on the premium feed, which gives you the show quicker and a lot less painfully. Secondly, I maintain a full back catalog of nighttime episodes and countless hours of bonus content only on the premium feed, so to give you more of the show than any sane person would probably even want to listen to. And the third thing, premium feed subscribers who do so annually get a discounted rate and receive a free swag pack by mail. Who doesn't love mail? And lastly, but hopefully most importantly, the premium feed will fund the creation of the show. My mics, my laptop, the little lights on my desk, it's all paid for by the combined efforts of the Premium Feed subscribers. So if any of this sounds good to you, for about the price of a cup of coffee, you can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. I want to thank you for considering it. Now, let's get back to the episode. At, at this point... There's a $50,000 reward being offered. Plenty of news coverage. There's a new documentary on Paramount Plus that's, you know, talking about her case. So it's getting out there. Um, $50,000 should be enough to make someone talk if someone knows. And, and chances are... You would think. Chances are whoever is involved in this, if it is as we think and someone snatched her up, it's probably someone that $50,000 would mean a lot to. Um, but... That reward's been there for a while and there's been nothing. Do you foresee there being a chance? Like, and you're you're local, you're in Regina. Do you see there being a chance that this is solved? I I think about this case a lot. And I I really don't know. I think there is a chance of her being found, whether that be um alive or deceased, but I don't think we're ever gonna know what happened. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I really don't. What do you think? What do you so much time has passed. I don't think she's out there somewhere. You know, a lot of times with a missing person case, you'll hear people be like, oh, she's, you know, living a new life and you're, she's doesn't realize whatever. I just, I just don't see that as a possibility. She is old enough that she would remember her childhood if she was alive, I think. Uh, and it's a fairly, as far as I can tell, a fairly high profile case out, out that way. Um, yeah, I, I just don't see this ever having that kind of ending where it's like, oh, she was, you know, being raised by someone under a different name somewhere else. I, I don't see that. Yeah. When it comes to Tamara Keepness, someone in that house 
knows more than they're leading on. Well, let's wrap it up with that. But for people who want to follow your, you call them crime talks. I'm not on TikTok, so I can't even talk about it. So why don't you tell us how people can find you on TikTok and YouTube? You can follow me on all, I am at Madeline Klein across all social media. Uh, Madeline is a little bit hard to spell, but I'm one of the only ones. So you'll find me right away. I should pop up. And Klein is with a K. So Madeline Klein across all social media. I want to thank you for joining Lane and I for our discussion surrounding the disappearance of Tamara Keepness. For those listening who'd like to learn more about Tamara's case, I've added some links in the episode description to the various documentaries we've referenced during our talk, and I recommend you watch them. A five-year-old simply can't disappear. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but before we do, I'm going to give thanks. First, a big thanks to Madeleine Klein for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. I'd like to thank Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode and LJ from Dystopian Simulation Podcast for providing the intro and outro voiceovers. But the biggest thanks goes to every one of you listening as without your interest and your support, nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening on the premium feed. And on the topic, let me thank the newest subscribers. Joan, Cindy, Ellen, and Megan, thank you for going premium. For anyone else who'd like to join the crew, you can go premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And if you'd like to support the show but can't do it by way of a premium feed subscription, you can simply share this episode on social media and let some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If there's a Canadian missing persons case you'd like to hear featured on this series, let me know at nighttimepodcast.com. Also, I prioritize cases submitted by friends and family, so be sure to tell me if you have a connection to the case. I hope to hear from you, but until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.